0: Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. I want you to think back with me for just a moment to when you came to Christ. You may be here today and haven't yet come to that place and we'd love to help you with that, but for all of you who have, I want you to think about when you came to Christ. And I want you to think about your life before that and your life compared to that now, how your life is now compared to what it was before. Now, for some of you who are young, real young, and, and you came to Christ as a child, you might say, wow, I, yeah, I was really bad. I stole a cookie from mom once. But really, I want you, if nothing else, think about, you know, what, where would your life be? How would you be living if it wasn't for Christ? Yeah, it would be significantly different, wouldn't it? How many would say that, yes, God has definitely changed my life since I came to Christ? Okay? All over the place, right? And were there things in your life before you came to Christ that Christ has since enabled you to work your way out of and they're no longer a part of your life, things that never should have been a part of your life but were? Right? Those are ugly things, aren't they? And sometimes we as Christians can still struggle. They can still pop their heads up from time to time. But overall, we say, Wow. God has delivered me from that. I'm not like that anymore. Is that a good thing? Amen. What, a, what a blessing righteous living is. When, when we live a righteous life, the kind of life that God says we ought to live, it's very freeing. You have a, a sense of freedom and, and a lightness and, and life as opposed to the heavyweight when we're going our own way and doing our own thing and we're involved in sin that we know we ought not be involved in and it's just so ugly. So it, it's... It's good to be grateful for those things. But our human tendencies can mess us up, even in that gratitude. Jesus tells a story about two men who went up to pray. One of them was a tax collector who was known as a traitor to his people in Israel and most likely was cheating people out of money, just not, you know, not a good person. He went to pray, and a man who was very, very religious, who, who did his best to keep all the rules, went up to pray. And that man, the religious man, the one who maybe could say like you and I, I'm so glad that God has changed my life, I am so glad that those ugly things that used to be a part of my life are not a part of my life anymore, and I'm freed from those, all those, he might have been just very much like us, But it says he prayed and he said, I thank God, I thank you God for all those things. But he said it this way, thank you that I'm not like those other people anymore. I'm not like those sinful people anymore. And the other one who was the sinner just bowed his head and said, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need you. And Jesus said it was the sinner who bowed his head and just says, oh God, I need you, who went away with this prayer answered. I think overall we're here today and we would say, oh, we, we, you know, have compassion towards sinful people. But I gotta tell you, it's so easy to, in the Christian life, to begin to enjoy the blessings of the Christian life. And we ought to enjoy them. When we worship, we ought to celebrate them because God has done it and is doing it. But we can get into that so much and then we become pretty comfortable here. It's comfortable here, isn't it? I come here and you guys, at least you act like you love me. <laughs> and I think most of you do, and I love you, and we love you. And it's it's comfortable, it's encouraging, you know, and it's it's pretty relaxing. There are people out in the world though that you might find yourself around that you wouldn't feel the same way. Do you agree? Hmm. How does God feel about those people? See, it's so easy for us, like I said, to, to be so grateful, but to forget where we once were. And so today I want to answer this question. I think the word sinners, you know, we, we hear the word sinners, and I don't know what comes to mind when you think of that, um, I mean, we know that we were all born sinners. We know that. We know that Jesus saved us, and our identity technically anymore is not sinners, yet apart from the grace of God, that's what we are. So we know all that, but sinners. And I'm thinking about all these people in our world who, I mean, right now, can you think of some people that maybe you know personally, you said, oh, those people, they are not even interested in God. Can you think of someone like that? In fact, can you think of some people, maybe you know that they're actually antagonistic about the things of God? And maybe even people you don't necessarily know, but can you think of certain groups of people who you would say that they are, they are really sinners? Because their sin is so blatant and so open and maybe it's being forced into your face. I mean, don't you, you hear things on the news that you just go, ah. anybody like that? It's just me. I hear things that they go, Where are these people? They live in the same world. And so all of these people and how we feel about them as Christians is important, but there's a much bigger question. And it's not ultimately, at some point it does come down to how we feel about this. A question we need to answer first. That's how does God feel about them? How does God feel about them? Let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Jesus addresses this. He's so faithful in His Word to address the issues of our lives. Luke chapter 15, page 1203 in the Bible that's in the pew. I hope that you'll look there. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start right in verse number 1. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now, let's just stop and see. But, you know, tax collectors, I mean, <laughs> any of you ever, you know, when you were a kid, say, I want to grow up and be an IRS agent. There was a lot of power there. But that's not quite the same thing as we got going here. We understand, I think, most of us that in, in the New Testament times that, Uh, Israel as a nation was under the control of Rome, kind of like if you live in Crimea. You were Ukrainian, but now the Russians are there, and now they've taken control and saying, you know, it's about Russia. Russia. And so here they were living in this day and age of the Romans. The Romans were pagans. The Israelites were Jews and worshiped God and the Romans weren't. They were those sinful, terrible people, worshiped false gods, did evil things. They were brutal. All this kind of thing. And then they would hire an Israelite to collect taxes for them. Okay? And here's the deal. Uh, You collect taxes for us and the way you get paid is you collect extra. You collect your fee on top of that. Well, what fee do we collect? Well, you decide. And if they won't pay the taxes, you let us know. We'll come and make them pay. So how do you think people felt about the tax collectors? They were traitors, and they were cheats, okay? And they could charge you exorbitant amounts on top of what you owed, and then if they didn't cooperate, they could have the soldiers come. I mean, they were hated people. And then he says here, that all the tax collectors and the sinners, and that just kind of groups in everybody else that doesn't measure up to what a Christian, at this point, a good Jewish person, ought to be. And they were coming to Jesus to hear him. Must have been something about Jesus, huh? Friend of sinners. But here's when we see verse two, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners, and worse than that, he eats with them in their day. I mean, it's still somewhat true for us, too. You know, it's one thing to, to meet someone that maybe, you know, isn't the kind of, you know, they aren't a savory character. They aren't the kind of person that you want to be known as, you know, hanging out with. And so you're friendly to them. You're polite to them. But instead, you say, hey, why don't you come over for supper? I mean, this it, it is a huge deal to them. Not to mention, it was just against their practices. You didn't eat. Meals with unclean people. But Jesus was, and so they are all bent out of shape. What why are you doing that? Now, see, my, my concern when we look at a story like this is that, that we say, Yeah, what was wrong with those publicans and Pharisees, or the Pharisees and scribes? What was wrong with them? But can you see how we could do the same thing? Can you? I mean, there are people you'd say, "Ah, I'm not going to hang out with those people. Jesus was. He was hanging out with those people. They wanted to hear what He had to say, and He welcomed them. And so this is creating a sort of a turmoil. We don't know if it's just quiet in the background, if it was loud and open, but nonetheless there was this opposition to what Jesus was doing and how can he be a man of God if he's doing this, all these kind of questions. Verse number three, so he spoke this parable to them saying, and he's actually going to speak three parables. So let's talk briefly about parables uh, most of you have probably heard, but the idea of a parable comes from a word, a parabolo, which means to throw alongside. And what he would do is Jesus would take a real-to-life story, you know, kind of thing that people would be familiar with, and tell that story, and then he would throw alongside that a spiritual message. In other words, they matched in some way. But understand this about parables, so you have to be very careful. Sometimes people look in a parable and they want to think everything in that parable represents something as symbolic or something It's not. When Jesus tells a parable, it's because he's trying to make a point. Everything doesn't have to match. We don't have to figure out all these What we want to do is get the point, right? What was Jesus trying to say? And so here's the problem. Remember, these guys are, are, are revulsed at, at this idea of sinners and that, that a man of God could connect himself with them and hang out with them and, and eat with them and, and seemingly enjoy being with them. And so Jesus is going to tell a parable to teach them something about themselves, about God. So verse number four, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. So he's telling this story. Can't you see the religious leaders going, oh yeah. Sheep, yeah. Got to catch, got to bring that one back. They got it, right? So Jesus pauses, looks at them, and then says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So, wait a minute. Isn't God joyful over us? Jesus says, no, there's going to be more joy about that sinner that repents than 99 people who think they have no need. Well, that kind of pushed them back a little bit, I suppose. Should push us back a little bit, I suppose. I want you to see, and I, I should have already said this, but the point of these parables, what we're going to see, the one point that Jesus is trying to see is the grace that God shows towards sinners. You're saved by grace today? Are you? Grace, the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. That he. he, he he's moved toward us. And, and it has nothing to do with. You know whether we've earned it or not. No he loves us. And, and cares about in his goodness. His holiness. And, and he moves toward us. And that's what he's saying here. And so you lose a sheep. You find it. And he says in heaven more joy. God is moved toward the sinner by His grace. God in His grace moves toward the sinner. What is is our tendency to do? Now, if that sinner looks like us, right? And that sinner's in our circles. And that sinner, you know, not too strange. Hey, we'll we'll connect with him. But when that sinner really looks different, that sinner has and it's pink and no hair and lots of metal. <laughs> I'm sure they're not interested. Right? I'm sure they don't right? care. And we could apply this across the world. You think of your, the sin that stands out to you most is sin, That's sin. we got to be careful. We can move, but if God, if there's a, an awareness of sin, he moves toward the sinner. And there's joy when the sinner turns to him. Let's read the next parable here. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And, and you can see these re- religious people and righteous people saying, Yeah, we get that, because this, these coins they're talking about was equivalent to one day's wages. So this was like her emergency savings, and she just lost 10% of it. A whole day's wages. Now, for some of you, that might not be much. But for most of us, you lose a whole day's wages. That's significant, isn't it? You're going to look for that, aren't you? And she did, and she found it, and she rejoiced, and she called her friend and says, I found it. You got it. You know, this is good, good news. And then he says, in verse 10, likewise, in the same way I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, one sinner who turns to God. God is moved toward the sinner by grace. His grace, in grace, he moves toward them. And and, and, and so we see when Jesus is hanging with the tax collectors, those turncoat traitors and cheats and and sinners of all kinds, when Jesus is hanging with them, it's because in grace, by grace, he's moved toward them. And he's open to them. And they sense it, don't they? They come to him and hear him. Wow. Do do people... Do sinners respond to us that way? Or do they stay away from us? Now, Jesus is going to up the ante here. So, he told him a story about lost sheep. Okay, yeah, we get that. Lost coins, yeah, and he's saying God's happy too. Okay, we get that. All right? But Jesus is now going to push the religious leaders to the edge and beyond. He's going to stretch. Their concept of God's grace and how God feels about sinners can stretch them way past their comfort zone. And so what I want you to know is I'm, I'm calling the kind of grace that Jesus is going to describe here as grace, not just grace, but grace on fire. You know, when you talk about someone, you know, like an athlete, and, and maybe it's in basketball, and, and we're seeing the March Madison going, and every now and then an athlete just springs to the top and has one of those games, and what do we say about him when he plays? He's on what? He's on fire today. And there's just something bigger about it, and something more magnificent about him, more exciting about it. And so what Jesus is going to challenge him about, and what we want to be challenged, is grace on fire. Grace that goes way beyond what we normally think. Grace that pushes us to the edge of our comfort zone and beyond. He is going to present here in this story the good and the bad. And next week we're going to see the ugly. But He's going to present the good and the bad in a way that shines this powerful spotlight on the grace of God towards sinners. Truly it is grace on fire. So let's begin reading here in verse number 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, so we moved from sheep and coins to people. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, you've got to understand, you know what this this young boy was just doing, this young man? He was just saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. (laughs) I can't wait, you know, when you die, I get your stuff. And you're not dying. So give me the stuff. I mean, we laugh, but how is that? That's just very disrespectful, isn't it? I care more about your stuff than I care about you, Dad. Give me your stuff. Very disrespectful. Now, you know, and we live in a culture, and we as Christians, we understand that respect, but do you understand, think what it would be like to live in a culture where these social norms are much stronger and much stricter? I mean, the father, in this culture, ruled with an iron fist. Now he could love too, but you understand what I'm saying? He had this powerful authority, and you just didn't disrespect Dad. And this young man does. So think about Jesus' audience. What are they thinking? <gasps> oh. Let's read on. So he divided to them his livelihood. I think the second thing they came to me, what do you mean? So the father said, okay. All right, and he divided up his, what would one day be his inheritance, he divided it up now and gave it to his sons now. That's hard to believe. Why would he do that? Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That word prodigal, the prodigal can mean lavish and excessive, but it can also mean um, all the words that go along with... Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. But it's, it's the idea of the evil and the de- debauchery and, and all the terrible things that went along with that. So that's what he did. He got the inheritance and then he went. He had to leave. He couldn't stay there and do it in front of Dad. But he had to leave and go live this way a way that would never be acceptable in his own household. Is he a sinner? Is he a big-time sinner at this point? Yeah, I mean, we understand. We all say that, you know, all sin's the same for God, and it is when it comes to being right with God or not, but it's not all the same in life. It's not all the same in life at all. This guy's a big-time sinner. But as always happens, verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. His resources ran out. He had spent it all on the partying, and it was gone. And now nobody wants to help him, and he has no way to make ends meet. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Okay, I'll hire you. I want you to go out and feed the pigs. I mean, that's kind of a yucky job to start with. Anybody ever, you know, drive by or have reason to be by a hog farm? You know, it's amazing how shallow your breathing becomes. <laughs> you know, you're trying not to. This is a job, but it's worse than that. Because for uh, the Jewish people did not eat pork, they did not raise pigs they had nothing to do with them because God and his law had told them to stay away. From them. They told them to stay away for health reasons because the, the, you know, the, the swine had trichinosis and things like that. So you just to stay away. But So for them, this was a religious thing. Not only does he have a yucky job, he has a sinful job. He's fallen a long ways, hasn't he? Verse 16, and it's really bad. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. He had to wait till he got whatever pay or whatever they allowed him to eat. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he, he wasn't in his right mind really, was he? Is that not thinking logically, not thinking rationally. That's what made him ask dad for the money before it was time. That's what made him go away and spend it on this crazy living. That's what made him go to work for someone feeding swine. And all of a sudden, it's like, duh. What am I doing here? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? My dad takes care of his servants. Pays them well. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's going to come back home, not as a son, right? Just just give me a job. You're a good man, give me a job. I don't deserve anything else from you. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, at this point, you've got to think that these religious leaders who were, so he's carrying out this plan. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And you'd think the father would say, yeah, you're right. We have some things we need to talk about, right? He got some things we need to make right here. But no, what's the father do? The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Why is Jesus telling this story? because he's answering the question, how does God feel about sinners? How does he react to sinners? How does he respond to them? And it's about grace, isn't it? This son didn't deserve this kind of treatment from his father, did he? Now usually when we say, you didn't deserve this kind of treatment, we're talking about bad things, aren't we? Well, his father gave him this awesome treatment. He didn't deserve that. But his father interacted with him on the basis of grace and because he was good and loved him. And so he shows grace to him. And an amazing demonstration of grace. I mean, let's just be honest, right? If our kids did this, well, you know how it is. When your child does something wrong, they're gone and you're worried about them. And when they come home finally, and they they know they disobeyed you, you know they disobeyed you, and they finally come home, there's a momentary relief, right? They're home safe. And then what happens? (sighs) The burn comes, doesn't it? So we need to remember, like I said, that we are the prodigals. That is us. Whether we have the same exact story or not. So what was our situation? How did God interact with us as sinners? Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, and you, he, God the Father, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead to God. Doesn't matter how good you looked on the outside to everybody, you were dead, spiritually dead. And he describes it, verse two, he says, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were just like all of those sinners that you see. Remember those people we talked about earlier and thought about? That's us before God. Just like them. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. But God, what wonderful words, right? That's what you were. You were spiritually dead. You were living a horrific life in rebellion against God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were that sinner in rebellion against him, And, and even when we were living like the prodigal, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How has God moved toward us as sinners? With grace on fire, didn't he? The riches of his grace, not just his grace, the riches of his grace he's gonna show in us throughout all eternity. This is grace on fire. Turn to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Paul's been talking about all the things that God has done to save us and all the things he's provided for us to live the life that he has for us. In verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So start with, if God is for us. That was... When I was a sinner, when that was my identity, and that was the way I lived, God was for me. Do you think that? I mean, we think about in our culture, and we think about certain groups and this, the social stands they take against the morals of God, and they want to force us to do it, and it's, it's wreaking havoc in our society. So much of that kind of thing going on. God is for them. Right? obviously they're going against what God says is right, but God is for them. And if God is for them, who can be against them? God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 3, I want you to see, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So many great promises there for us as Christians, but the first phrase is what I want you to see. He who did not spare his own son, who did he not spare his own son for? For us good Christians? No, it was for sinners, which we were. And can still live like, but hopefully don't. How does God feel about sinners? Well, we know, John 3, 16 and 17, it's because, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sinners, God loved them so much that he gave his only son. And the next verse continues, it says, because God did not, he, he sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him and my concern for us is that we get saved and then we begin judging the world. And there's much to judge, isn't there? And it's not about whether something's right or wrong. We need to see the truth about it and know that. But Jesus didn't come to judge but to say, so when you and I walk out of this building today, are we going out in the world to judge or to save? Do you get that? And so, what we see here is this grace. The grace of God. That's how God looks at sinners, that's how he feels about sinners, that's what moves him in relationship to sinners, the grace, his grace, his grace. Not his judgment, and there will come a judgment, we know that. The Bible says that, but right now it's grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. By the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? By grace you were saved. So we are talking about God's grace. We're talking about grace on steroids. We're talking about grace on fire. And it's the kind of grace that we need. So, so we've answered the question here, how does God feel about sinners? Do you feel like we've answered that? We've answered the question, how does God feel about sinners? The next question we need to answer is this, is how do we feel about Sinners. How, how do we react and respond to sinners? How do we relate to them? If we don't relate to them the way God does, we will not reach them. If we don't relate to them the way God does, they will die and go to hell. And 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 God forbid that any of us would ever say, well, that's what they deserve, because that's what you deserve and what I deserve. And God has given us a message, the truth, that they can be saved just like you and me. And and I guarantee you, if we start reaching people like this, we're gonna bring big messes into our church. Because people's lives are messed up by sin. And they're going to come in and they're going to be a mess. And yes, God's going to go to work and change it. And he's going to use us to, to change them. But if we aren't careful, we can start feeling like, I wish we didn't have those kind of people here. But how does God feel about them? And how should we feel about them? And we're going to focus in on that next week. How do we feel about sinners? But I want to challenge you to this today. I want you to go out from here today and try each day this week. I want you to, to look at the people around you and those ones that you see who are you know, maybe very coarse, maybe they're profane, maybe they're immoral, they're, maybe they're just proud or whatever. But I want you to do this. I want you to identify with them because they are you before God. Do you understand that? They are you before God. And then when you see on the news some group who has just taken an ungodly stand and trying to force those values on on everybody else, you know, in an ungodly way. and Yeah, I understand that frustration, anger, but I want you to instead stop and say, wait a minute. I need to identify with these people. I am, they are me before God. Because we want to move from being like the Pharisees and these scribes who couldn't believe Jesus would hang with sinners and we want to become like Jesus who did. Because the lost need to be found. I needed to be found. They need to be found. So this week, identify, identify, identify. Identify in your heart and mind. And if you need to have a conversation with God about it, you have a conversation with God about it. We've got to identify with those people. Because they're sinners just like we were. And they need him just like we do. Let's pray. Father, for some reason, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. By our need to be changed by you, Lord, we are so grateful that you have saved us and changed our lives and and freed us from so many things that were hurtful and burdensome and ugly, not just us, but to others. And and we still struggle with some of that, Lord, but you're setting us free from it. We're so grateful. But God, please, Protect us from becoming like the Pharisees and the scribes were here who, who stopped identifying themselves with sinners. <laughs> and then you who had no sin, identified yourself with them. That you might reach them. So please, Father, stir us up, stir our hearts that this week we would consciously look and think and identify with those who don't know you. Not in judgment, that we would go out from here today like your son came into the world, not to judge, but to save. Lord, all sorts of things go along with, I know, bounces and all that, we're just going to trust that to you. Change our hearts.